0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading energy analyst, David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by what Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and Solar experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. Well, another week in the energy markets and another couple of voluminous reports. We've had a 400-page report from the Australian competition. And Consumer Commission and a 200-page report landed this morning from the Australian energy market operator, the Integrated System Plan. And that's the focus of our discussion today, and we're delighted to have the head of AEMO with us. But uh, before I introduce Audrey Zimmerman, I'm going to quickly um, say hello to David, our fellow columnist. Um, David, two big reports and the World Cup. How are you coping? Uh, Look, I'm enjoying it all. It's very exciting and looking forward to today's uh, discussion. Thank you very much. Um, Audrey Zieberman, the CEO of the Australian Energy Market Operator, thanks for joining us.
1: Sure, happy to be here.
0: Look, you've released this 200-page report. It's the integrated system plan. It's um, been a long time coming, and we welcome it. Look, let's talk about the. Uh, um, David's obviously got a lot of questions to ask, but I just want to cover off a couple of the bi- the bigger picture ones. It seems to me that there's a couple of key conclusions that you've reached here. One is to it makes sense to allow coal ge- and existing coal generators to continue to the end of their technical life, which you say is fifty years, and then at that point to replace them with wind, solar, and storage because that is the cheapest option and you also lay out the need to plan for this and the creation of renewable energy zones and improved and bulked up and even new interconnections between the states. Is, is that a reasonable summary of, uh, of what you've laid out? That is. <laughs> is it a hard message to get across, though? Because if I pick up the headlines in the papers today, it says, one says, King Cole lives forever. Um, I look at your graphs, and I see a transition towards renewable energy happening almost by 50% in your neutral s- scenario. Um, is it a hard message to get across?
1: Well, one of the things that uh, I heard someone say today that the energy system is a little bit like an inkblot test, a Rocher test, everyone sees in it what they want to. I kind of look at it as modern art and the same pieces you know obviously uh you know that's that's an opportunity when people read a report like this they they try to look at it in terms of the perspective they want to draw from it but i think as the days go by and you know obviously it was a long report and everyone needs to digest it i'm hoping uh, that what, people, what everyone sees is that it's a very pragmatic and very thoughtful and evidence-based approach as to what is occurring in the industry and what Australia uh, really could do and needs to do to make sure that this disruption that's occurring doesn't uh, have a negative impact on consumers, but rather that we manage it in an effective way. And that's really the essence of the report
0: it's interesting your uh, your your um, referral to modern art and I'm I'm, I'm reminded of that I'm um, famous quote of um I don't know much about art but I do know what I like and that seems to be quite apt for some of the discussion about wow. the energy markets. That, that's no? a very <laughs>
2: uneducated comment. Let's uh, not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David. Um, Audrey, can you just explain why
0: wind, solar and storage offer the cheapest form of renewable of of generation going forward?
1: Sure. There's there's two pieces of it. Uh, You know, in in any case of a capital-intensive industry, you have your investment cost. And uh, the investment costs, or some people call it the long-run marginal cost, of renewables compared to new coal is lower. Not compared to existing, but compared to new, because with existing, of course, you don't have these upfront investment costs that's already occurred and been depreciated. Secondarily, though, in terms of operating power plants or the operating costs, short-run marginal costs, as we call them in the industry. And in the case of renewables as compared to coal, there's, they're, virtual, they're zero because we don't. the largest part of your operating costs are fuel. And so you have lower investment costs and lower operating costs. However, and I think this is a very important piece that we need to recognize and also part of the plan, Coal resources or tr- conventional generation of all types provide services that are beyond simply energy. They also provide uh, what we call ancillary services or essential system services like uh, system security, uh, synchroni- uh inertia, frequency, voltage support. And so why the plan picks a portfolio is we're looking at making sure that these other services that we, we need to run the power system are not lost So that's an important piece. The other is that while we have the advantage of uh, being able to access a great deal of renewables in Australia because of the location and and the fact we have a lot of land that's available for it, uh, the renewables are less energy intensive than coal, so they take a bigger footprint. Hence the need for transmission and their location is often places that are not where we've located the coal plants. So we have to look at it as a portfolio. That doesn't mean it's more expensive, but it's an entire system and it has to be dealt with as an, as an integrated system, which is why we've identified a number of different investments that concur across the NEM but need to work together so that this is really the sum of the parts uh, make a much better whole. So i might like not-
2: to uh, come... Uh, okay, no, you go ahead, David. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested because you modelled in the neutral scenario the Queensland renewable target and the Victorian target, uh, which I'm pleased to see because a lot of other modellers don't do this. And I'd like to commend uh, Emo on all the modelling it's actually done here off its own back without commissioning anyone else. But I'm interested in Queensland, uh, the 50% renewable target, Basically, uh, comes without any growth in demand in the neutral scenario, and implies a, a much lower operating life for some other form of uh, much lower capacity utilisation for some other form of generation, uh, and therefore, I guess, lower profitability for that generation. How, how do you think about that? Well, how does the modelling show that?
1: Well, the modelling, uh, what we did on the cost-based modelling is, you know, we do. Well, let me let me back up here. When AMO does its modeling, we take uh, government policies as a given. You know, it's not AMO's job to question or, or look at that. We, t- we take it as a given and we incorporate that in the model. Secondarily, though, one of the, the pieces that we're going to need to look at going forward and is actually some additional work at look is beginning to look at is the effect that uh, the additions of these resources will have on the existing plant because of uh, the question of revenue sufficiency you know as you know coal plants are, are used to running at high capacity factors when we have more and more wind and solar adding onto the system they need, the the level they, they will displace wind because it's cheaper on an operating basis one of the reasons therefore that we're looking at enhanced transmission is to really create a bigger market for existing resources again we want to make sure that we're taking full advantage of the investments we've made to help keep costs down and have what uh, we in the finkel report is called a smooth transition and really most uh, when i would look at it and i'd say it's a it's just a wise thing to do you don't want to replace these resources prematurely you want to have the opportunity for the system to adjust and the other pieces that we know is that having a Deeper and uh, more connected market will create more opportunities for competition. That will benefit consumers because more competition will will mean potentially lower prices as people compete.
2: Sure, I see the lower prices and I see the advantage of uh, uh, transmitting the lower uh, the lowest cost coal generation to uh, around the NIM, which essentially to me means more transmission from Queensland to the rest of the NIM.
1: Well, it's it's partly that, it's it's looking at the interconnections, you know, it also looking at if we, when we, you know, adding Snowy to the mix also requires new interconnections. So, uh, one of the things that the system does is it, it actually, by modeling it like AMO does, where we look at it as a whole of system, we're looking at selecting those types of investments that provide the maximum advantage for the minimum cost.
2: Sure, and I guess just... Uh, I wanted to come back to the coal generation because uh, I guess my own modelling, humble as it is, still suggests the risk of earlier closures rather than later. Um, um, And I guess every, uh, you you know, it's the question of how you manage that in the market, whether you want to build ahead of those coal closures and how you actually manage that in the energy market. But putting that to one side, another conclusion from the report uh, seems to be that uh, a system with a high distributed resources, um, has a lower overall cost to consumers than than the alternatives, and I'm wondering if that becomes something that feeds through into policy.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so what it shows is that if uh, we've modeled what we call a high uh, distributed energy resource, where you'd have a significant amount of distributed energy resources coming on into the market. Now, but one of the but we also point out, which is very important is that that's not just going to happen without additional work done on how do we integrate these resources better. Uh, We have to, as you know, the distribution systems were not made for this type of two-way flows, and we need to have a a market design that allows for better coordination of these resources with uh, the wholesale market the work that uh, AEMO's doing with the ENA, where we're really looking at uh, this, what I would call this vertically integrated markets and where the market essentially extends to the meter and we incorporate all of these resources, is designed to start thinking about, well, what kind of platforms do we need? What kind of frameworks do we need to make that work for consumers? And that work has to, has to occur as well.
2: I'll ask one more question and hand back to Giles. And this is when you did the scoring system for renewable energy zones, you showed in the report the one to $2 billion benefit from building more interconnectors, uh, but probably didn't go on to explain, as far as I can see, the actual benefit to consumers from renewable energy zones. And I should add, I support them. But my question was more about uh, Queensland again. If you look at the Queensland renewable energy zone in North Queensland, it has like the highest score In terms of an A for wind and solar, but the transmission and proximity to market issues. I'm just wondering how you think about it. But but on the other hand, it has diversification of wind resource. So does the model capture all of those things well, do you think?
1: It does. And I'm I'm very, you know, one of the things, uh, feedback that we've had from the model developer, the PSCAD, is that they said they developed a system model. That uh, they built to be like a Ferrari, and that Aemo is one of the very few operators that's driving it like one we with uh, a very it's a very complex modeling system where we have to take into account all of these inputs and then run the optimization. Um, but as you know as you pointed out, one of the things we noted in in the modeling process is that the for wind and solar, you want to take full advantage of uh, time diversity as well as weather diversity. And Queensland has some of the more more diverse from the rest of the NEM. So you would want to look at that going forward as, as an element of creating a more uh, efficient and more reliable portfolio, because you could take advantage of that. And that's that's one piece of it. Noting, however, as you said, that distance also matters. So we have to think about that. The reses though, which is something that was identified in the Finkel report as, as an element to look at really uh, helps uh, support building out the renewables. One of the things that I think is very important is just saying we're going to site them um, is one thing. Looking at ways to reduce the costs and almost everything in this plan is acknowledging the fact that as units retire they have to be replaced and and what you want to do is take as much cost out of the system as you can and things like planned reses where you can work with the community are very important Uh, even you know it's uh, the neg is very important because it provides stability which could help reduce investment cost and then having a, a commitment to be more strategic around how you manage the transition can is also very important because it's it's going to help us Uh, and help the industry identify a direction where we're going so we can find those least cost investments to help us get there.
0: So maybe I can just go back to um, some of the modelling that you did. In the neutral scenario, the uh, share of renewables, I think, is about 46% or 50% by 2030. In your fast change scenario, the, which includes um, a higher ambition for emissions reduction, the share of renewables is around 60% according to your scenario modeling. Are we okay then on security and reliability in those two scenarios?
1: Oh, absolutely. It, we we constrain the model for security and reliability. So this is an, this is actually delivered energy value it's not it's not just investment value so we take into account reliability and security constraints as well as the cost of transmission
0: so what you're saying then is that you can have this high percentage of renewables and we're not going to compromise the system security
1: right i mean you know obviously you would have to make the investments necessarily make that but that's included in the modeling process the main point about this by the way and the reason we use scenario analysis is that EMA wants to identify those investments that make sense regardless of whether or not you expect uh, the market to you know, move slowly, move quickly, uh, and everything in between. And then to have what we would call the no regrets investment strategy and say well regardless of whether or not this is happens over 10 years or over 20 years, if it happens quickly, if it, if there's more DR uh distributed resources we still need these types of investments and that's why we we've, we've grouped them and said there are certain things that we could tell you right now they've been thought through the design is pretty clear we just need to get on with them and then there are other parts of the plan where we say it looks like it makes sense does make sense but it needs it's more expensive it needs more time to, to do design work to make sure we time it appropriately and pick the you know the the best location and things like that and so that's and we would get on with both of those and then we have the, the last grouping what we call group three which are those resources that we expect to need in the thirties once the coal is retired and we'll spend more time developing those for the next isp but what we would really want people to focus on are the group one and group two so we can begin Really, the heavy lifting to get those get that work done.
0: Let's talk maybe about some of those Group One um, uh, objectives. I think I'm right in summarising them as um, some added capacity between some states, Queensland and New South Wales, and New South Wales and Victoria, um, and possibly the creation of some new um, renewable energy zones or identification. I think you're quite keen on bulking up the network in Victoria because of that state's um, renewable energy target and all the wind and solar farms that are going to go in the western part of that state. And I guess you're also looking at a link from South Australia to New South Wales. Is that, is that the rough summary? And and how quickly do you need work on all this to start happening?
1: Well, the the work on the uh, RIT-T has actually already commenced as... Uh, AEMOS, the uh, actual TNSP in Victoria. And that, that element of work is we're looking at because of the amount of wind and uh, we're, get, we're seeing in northwest of Victoria that we need to make sure that the transmission network is there so we're not spilling wind and having significant congestion. So that's, that's a big piece of it but what we've done and then we've then the uh, other work is really to increase the capability of the system to make it more efficient to increase the depth of the markets make them more competitive and also accommodate more renewables as well as in between new south wales and uh sa to strengthen the network interconnections but what's important and i think uh you know to stress again AMOS looked at this as not as every system in isolation, but how these various investment additions will support each other to make the market itself that much more efficient and robust. I mean, one of the things that we want to try to do, and this is, we modeled some of the effects of congestion, but in future models, I think uh, really looking at the impact of having a deeper market on, on on prices, on the, redu- on the imp- impact of having more competitive alternatives, I think will be very important because really that's that's the nature of where this industry is going, particularly as we want to look at renewables and, and location is so important.
2: Audrey, um, I guess the you mentioned the RIT-T test. There's obviously been a difficult test, I think it's fair to say. I'm wondering what, and, your, and, and the plan has no legal force as such, the ISP, it's just a planning document, just. I'm wondering what you're looking to, uh, from the ESB and the AEMC, to, su- to support the plan, and whether there'll be need to be changes in the rules to make its proper uh, vision come turn out to be accurate.
1: That's yeah, a, it's a good, great question. So we are, um, one of the things that the ESB has been asked to do uh, by the COAG Energy Council is take a look at uh, the ISP as well as the other processes to to make sure that they're well aligned moving forward. You know, clearly from a EML's perspective, it'll be really terrific if we could take a look at this process we you know we do a lot of work in this plant i think it's it's very well thought out it's very well designed we're already in discussion with the uh, ESB members to start to think about, well, how can we make sure that this plan has real teeth going forward? And then when IEMO identifies through the planning process, there's enough confidence in that planning process that it's been robust enough that we can move on and start executing. And so that that is a discussion we'd like to have with the COAG Energy Council. You know, certainly where I come from, when an independent system operator like AEMO, who really doesn't own the plant and is really has a statutory obligation to look at least costs and is truly neutral, because we're just we're the system operator, we're not the owner, uh, that what 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 an entity like AEMO says carries a huge amount of weight, because it's gone through a process and there's a lot of confidence that they've looked at every issue from a consumer standpoint, and we're hoping that we can have similar discussions moving forward on how we can use this process to get to the confidence to make the investments that the process identifies is appropriate and will drive value to consumers.
0: Got a couple of other questions, um, some broader picture ones. Coal generators you're assuming will last until the end of their technical life, um, that is 50 years, what if they don't?
1: Well, then we, we need to have resources in place to uh, make sure that, the, obviously, that the, we have enough energy to keep the lights on. So one of the elements of the plan that we've identified, and I know you just got it last night, although you seem to have spent the night reading it. <laughs> <laughs> um, is
0: the World Cup is over. Nothing else to do.
2: We've been looking forward to it, and, and we've been reading it pretty
1: yeah, hard. As we do model the, the impact of early clo- uh, cold closure and the effect that could have on reliability, We also talk about the fact that uh, looking at this Snowy 2.0 opportunity as well as the battery of the nation, we really might want to start having a discussion around timing of the creation of these resources because they'll be important as uh, we think about the end of life of coal. And what we'll need to do is, is look at risk and make certain that we're taking the right steps. And there's a couple areas that uh, you know, government could look at and they, they will do in terms of a transition. One is uh, certainly to to look at being strategic and thinking about, well, what do you need to do in advance of the closure so that you can tolerate it? But then you need to understand and think about the, the implications because every action has a reaction, is what does that mean to co- to, for coal? So I, I think that's the appropriate discussion and uh, to have the COAG Energy Council as we move this forward.
2: I think that's the point. Uh, to the extent that you build renewables and other dispatchable resources, uh, because you're worried that the coal might close, you, of course, make the coal closures more certain because you're reducing the available market for them.
1: Right, and, and prices, as you know, uh, you know, because again, to compete with zero fuel costs is not easy.
0: Going back to distributed energy, um, you mentioned about that in your various scenarios, talk about a high distributed yeah. energy.
1: But let me, let me, just, let me just, before I, we go on there, I, I do think, though, it's really important. It's really important for this industry to understand this. When, when we were talking at low percentages of renewables in the system and we were relying on the conventional generation to provide all the resources that we needed in terms of managing the security of the system, it, it wasn't a concern. But now as we get to this point, and this is conversations I've had with other grid operators around the world, like AEMO, are looking at 20 to 30 to 40% renewable penetration. We need to make sure, and AEMO is actually, in Australia is actually leading in this, in how do we uh, deal with the system security issues we need around voltage and frequency and inertia as this moves forward. So it is going to be really important that we not put ourselves in harm's way and push towards earlier retirements uh, for these resources. We need to make sure that we can keep the system intact, that uh, we get uh, sort of the experience with looking at storage and how it could be used, and that we're very clear-headed on what we need for system strength, what we need for inertia, what we need for frequency, what we need for voltage. And uh, this is where it's an opportunity really to, I think, for uh, serious-minded people in this industry who are looking at the disruption and are uh, aware of the dependency we have on the economy on a res- reliable, secure, and affordable energy, to think about managing this transition in a way that's non-disruptive on, on all, from a- every perspective. And from EMO, it's really being technologically savvy, understanding the new technologies, how can we use them, our work we've done with Hornsdale Battery uh, are examples of where Amos trying to make sure that uh, we're we're neither defaulting to well we don't understand it therefore let's stick with what we know, to saying well this is great and uh, let's try it because we know that in this industry you. You really can't tolerate mistakes, so you have to be prudent on how you go about
0: things. I understand that. It'd be very much a learning experience too, though, wouldn't it? I mean, you're sort of evolving and increasing your knowledge as you're going along. If you go back 10 or 15 years, a lot of grid operators would have said, no, you can't do more than 10% renewables. You can't do more than 15%. You can't do more than 20%. Now we're getting up to 40%. Um, And it's interesting to watch your your, uh, rulings in South Australia about the system strength provisions. That seems to be evolving all the time.
1: Well, and, and in many ways, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud of the t- this team. You know, um, not only are we leading most grid operators in terms of the penetration of renewables, but we're the only island country that's doing this in a sense that, you know, if you take a look at uh, what happens in the U.S., where you have these massive interconnections with peop- where one, inter- one system would rely on another, or Europe is a similar way, uh, we have the longest, skinniest grid and some of the greatest complexities. So the learnings that we're having in Australia, actually, uh, not only are being followed by the industry, but many of the technology providers are coming to Australia to because of the, the recognition that, frankly, if we if we can do it in Australia and we learn how to do this, it'll work anywhere. And uh, so we're taking that old New York adage, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere, is t- applying that to the <laughs> energy industry, but it's Australia the location.
2: And of course, the Australian uh, counterpart to that adage is "No one makes it here, so we have to do it ourselves." Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's true to say that there is a lot of new digital tech uh, solutions for frequency control, at least. But I, I don't know so much about system strength. But system
1: yeah. strength is a, is a you know there's some of these things are physical properties that that we're going to have to consider how to, how do we do this going forward, particularly because of the distance that our transmission follows and and the fact that it's you know a long and skinny system.
0: I've just got one final question. Um, distributed energy, you mentioned about that before, um, and the role and, and, and the need. I think the, that report with uh, the ENA um, Energy Networks Australia talks about the need for orchestration. I understand there's a public uh, or various um, hearings or um, gatherings being held this week. What does this mean for the consumer and is there anything for the consumer to worry about um, with this? The idea that some other party may orchestrate their uh, assets that they've put in their rooftop solar or battery storage?
1: Well, um, first of all that yeah, I I would not jump to that that this is not the consumer in control. It's thinking about how these resources will operate in concert to provide value. So for example, a consumer may say that you know, from their perspective, if they have solar and storage, uh, they're willing to have their thermostat turned up a degree or two if uh, that's of advantage um, to the system. Or they're willing to use their storage during certain hours or their solar during certain hours. And the idea of that is, is that the consumer defines what they're willing to do. And then that's and and uh, that's how we get things monetized. But the the more important, most important thing to do to recognize is this: you know, we have a concern at AEMO where we have large degrees of distributed energy resources in a location that we're going to have problems with voltage. And so, not orchestrating them will mean that we can't use them, and and that is actually more harmful to consumers. So, the ability to recognize again that once you get to a certain pass level of penetration of these resources they can have true system impacts and if we don't aren't smart about it the only other tool we have is simply to block it and say we can't take any more on the system and that's that's not a good alternative either and and ultimately what we're trying to do is an end-to-end economic optimization so that the output of the system is the lowest possible cost for the consumers And do it in a way that's non-intrusive to the consumer. So I, I, you know, as a former uh, operator, distributed resource operator, you know, I would tell you that what we would do in working with our customers is we know exactly they would define what they wanted, and then we optimized around their desires.
2: It's probably time to wind up. I'd just like to uh, say thanks. Audrey and congratulate you and the AEMO team on this plan whilst I, and I'm i sure no one else agrees with every word in it uh, I think it's a fantastic uh, first effort and I'd like to think of myself that it could become a, a blueprint of plan that the, um, uh, could be one of the things that would help to unify uh, and bring some um, uh, togetherness in Australia, on the outlook for electricity, because in the end, we need to have a globally competitive system, not just a dec- uh, and one that's affordable.
1: Great. Well, thank you, and uh, I, we hope so too. Thank
0: you very much, Audrey. I do appreciate you coming online, and um, I'd like to thank um, everyone out there for listening. And um, we'll be back this time next week. Bye for now. Energy insiders was brought to you by Watt Watchers. Makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers
1: and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.